you all into that, and I know that some of you had took on that practice, you took on that practice over this past week. I appreciate each one of you who said yes, and know that in your saying yes, there is certainly something that you discovered, learned, came to a deeper understanding about, about what it is to believe, even at the same time as you're struggling with that belief. So any of you who did the, pra- the practice, does anybody have anything to share about what that practice revealed? So we have James Von Hoyer. Well, I was having a um, prostate, uh, what do they call it, biopsy on Wednesday, and I was in a uh, state of anxiousness mm-hmm. and very uncomfortable, and he's ready to do all this stuff, and I'm going to just give me a minute to breathe. And so I just went inwardly, and I asked Divine Mother for some help. And almost instantly, I knew that I was surrounded by angels. I heard them speaking to me. They're here. I just needed to ask and to be in that moment. And we all have that help. If we ask for it, it's pretty special. Yes. Oh, James, thank you so much. Thank you for your willingness to share so vulnerably, right? From that perspective, as so many of us can understand that medical diagnosis and the fear that comes up. And I believe, I believe, it helped me in my unbelief. And it is just that asking for the help that allows the help to show up. So, thank you, James. You join me in seeing this help is strength. Oh, absolutely. Anybody else want to share? Okay, we're going to move on to this week. We're moving on to our second week in Advent, in which uh, it is Do You Hear What I Hear? And it is all about peace. Peace on earth. And uh, last week I began with um, sharing uh, the first gospel that was written, which is the Gospel of Mark, not in the order that they are in Scripture, but the Gospel of Mark was the first one written. And as I pointed out last week, there is no like miracle birth story in the oldest gospel, in the gospel of Mark. Um, so what do the other gospels have to present? And so I thought, well, let's just take them gospel by gospel each week in the order that they were written. And so this week I want to share with you from the gospel of Matthew. So the gospel of Matthew was the second gospel to be written. And it was written from the perspective of um, wanting to reach that Jewish community that the early followers of the way were working to draw into, you know, this movement that had begun. And so the, the gospel is written from that perspective. And it's written from the perspective that Jesus would have been the one who was the prophet, the, who the prophets were prophesying was coming, the Messiah, 
the anointed one. And so the entire gospel kind of picks up on that theme. And if you're aware of it, you can pick it out. And it starts that way right from the beginning. The gospel of Matthew, Matthew begins with, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then it goes on, listing this genealogy throughout time, until it gets to the end, where it goes into Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Anybody notice anything in that genealogy? You know, the, the prophecy was that the, the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One, was going to be coming down through the genealogy of David. And so they've proven here in, in Matthew this genealogy through David, but, but who was that through? Joseph. Joseph. Who we've been told isn't even Jesus' real father, right? You know, because there was a a desire for the people of this time to see Jesus through the eyes of those Hebrew scriptures, those Hebrew prophecies. And so suddenly we've got Jesus as being the exception. You know, we can trace his genealogy through his father, but really, you know, it's, it's Mary that's important and God, who is the true father of Jesus. And then it goes on in the Gospel of Matthew to just that, the angel appearing to Joseph and, and telling him, yes, Mary is pregnant, but it's from God, and he should marry her anyways. And then it goes on to the story of King Herod. And that, too, is designed for us to, to uh, not us, but the Jews of that time, to put together that Jesus is like the new Moses. Right? Because you recall in the story of Moses, the Pharaoh had decided to kill all of the um, firstborn children of the Jews there in captivity, but Moses was rescued. And then um, Moses led his people out of Egypt. And Jesus, uh, at the time he was born, you know, Herod also wanted to kill all the firstborn. The, the story is right there, early in Matthew, trying to help the Jews at that time to tie these pieces together. And of course, rather than escape Egypt, this time uh, Jesus went with Mary and Joseph to Egypt right, to be um, saved from Herod, who had decided to kill all the firstborn. So it starts very early on in this Gospel of Matthew that, that they're inviting the Jews to see that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for to restore the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And it appears that here we are, 2,000 years later, still waiting for the kingdom of heaven to be restored here on earth. And from my perspective, from the unity perspective, it's time to pull Jesus out of the myth, out of the exception, and into the example. Who are we called to be? Who are we called 
to be at this time restoring peace on earth, restoring the kingdom of heaven, restoring the light here in the darkness. And so we shared last week that Christmas is celebrated at this particular time, not because anybody thinks Jesus was born on December 25th, but because it's the darkest time of the year. It's when the light is reborn as the sun begins to make its way back into a brighter and brighter day. It's a reminder that the darkness will never overcome the light. And so this week I was inspired by a, a reading um, by Father Richard Rohr. Some of you follow along with his daily email. And this is what Father Rohr had to say this week about the light and the dark. He said, I've lived long enough to know that the darkness of the world will never totally go away. But he said, we must all hope and work to eliminate the suffering, especially in many of the great social issues of our time. Christian wisdom names the darkness as the darkness and the light as the light and helps us to learn how to live and work in the light so that the darkness does not overcome us. If we have a pie in the sky, everything is beautiful attitude, we are going to be trapped by the darkness because we don't see it clearly enough. Conversely, if we can only see the darkness and forget the more foundational light, we will be destroyed by our own negativity and fanaticism. Instead, we must wait and work with hope inside of of the darkness, even our own, while never doubting the light that God always is and that we are too. That is the narrow birth canal of God into the world, through the darkness, and into an ever greater light. We are called to be that birth canal of God, shining our light here in the darkness. Not pretending the darkness isn't there. Not pretending only the darkness is, but remembering the truth that you and I are each of us called to be that light. Can you hear what I hear? Do you hear that invitation? Do you hear that call to be the peace? In a couple of weeks, we are going to be hosting again Christopher, Christopher Reynolds with the uh, A Night of Remembrance, uh, the story of the Christmas truth from 1914 during World War One. You know, so one of the ways that we look out in the world and say, you know, peace isn't here. I don't know if it's ever going to be possible. Look at all the wars that are today and have always been. But here was a special moment in 1914 where soldiers on opposite sides of each other that had been shooting each other decided to put down their arms on Christmas Eve to call a truce, to join together, to celebrate, to sing, to remember. And if only they had not picked back up their arms, right? Because unfortunately, in that particular story, after that day was done, that's exactly what they did. They all picked up their arms, and they went back to war with one another. How does the wars continue? But that we agree and say yes. 
I'm basing this series around the song, Do You Hear What I Hear? And it was written by uh, a gentleman, the words were written by the gentleman, uh, Noel Ragner, and his wife, and oh, I forgot her name. I didn't bring that up with me, but she wrote the music. And there's an interesting story behind it. So the, the song, Do You Hear What I Hear, was written in 1962, at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. How many of you were alive and remember that moment, right, in our history? So I see a lot. I'm going to lower my hand because I wasn't quite born yet. Another month to go. But I know some of you remember. What was the overall feeling in the air when this was happening, this Cuban Missile Crisis? Scary. It was fear. It was what? Scary. It was fearful, right? He had, so, thank you, Edie. Edie had faith in our president at that time. But, but here we were, right, as a country. We didn't know. Nuclear, nuclear arms towards us. We didn't know. Was it going to be the end of the world? What was going to happen? Fear. Fear. Thank you, Anna and Edie. Well, so let's, let's take a look at this. So what happened was... Noel Ragner, who wrote the song, was himself, uh, had had experience in war. Because he was born in France. And during World War II, uh, as a uh, citizen of France, he was drafted into the German army and had to serve, you know, the Nazi regime. And very early on, Noel decided that he would join the French resistance. And so he joined the French resistance, and what he would do is he would let the French resistance know the plans of the German troops so that they could be prepared. And then came a moment where he had a a task to do. And his task was that he was going to lead these troops that he was serving with into an ambush. And the French resistance was going to get these German troops. And he himself was shot during this ambush, just so that nobody would become aware that he was the one who was, you know, in the resistance at the time. And it was these thoughts that he was thinking about during that Cuban Missile Crisis and during the writing of the song, because you see, he had had that impacted him, that moment where he had led that ambush. And I thought about that. I thought about what it would be like to serve with a group of men that you came to know. Men that you knew were were husbands and fathers and sons, brothers, that had family and lives and were people, real people, not just the other out there that you were shooting at, right? And it was those ones, because of the overall ideology that they represented, that, that made it okay to lead them into that ambush, but it was those ones that he had gotten to know that were shot, and many of them killed. And so that weighed very heavily on uh, Noel after that incident. And at that point, he decided to um, escape the German army. He, he left the German army and he went underground and he joined the underground French resistance at that time through the end of the war. And then in the 50s, he immigrated to the United States and he moved to New York City. And so it was in New York City that he was in 1962, walking the streets 
with this overall error that we all recognize and realize was at that time, that fear, that concern, that not knowing. People were in despair. He felt that despair. He recognized that despair because he had been through a war before. And then he noticed coming towards him Then he noticed, coming towards him, two women with baby buggies, and a baby in each buggy. And we're all around him, the adults, we're in this place of fear and despair and worry. These two babies, walking side by side in their carriages, were looking at one another and smiling at one another and likely babbling at one another like babies do, right? And all of a sudden, his mind went to that innocent lamb, the innocence that these babies represented. They weren't aware of what was going on in the world. They were in this moment and their innocence and the joy of that moment. And suddenly the line went through his mind of, do you see what I see? Shining in the sky, little lamb. Do you see what I see? And he went home and he wrote that song. A song of peace. A song inviting all of us to that peace. A soldier who recognized the horror of war and yet in that moment was able to remind us as well of the hope. The hope of seeing this peace that we want to see in the world. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And so my question for you is, do you hear what I hear? Do you hear the call that's up above the trees, that's as loud as the ocean, right? A voice as great as the sea. How many of you have ever been to the sea when the waves are roaring and crashing on shore and it fills up your sound and it feels so good? I like to sleep with my window open when I'm by the ocean just so I can listen to that. Now, a voice that big as those ocean waves crashing to the shore, calling you, calling me to be who we are in truth, to be that peace that we want to see. Do you hear what I hear? I was curious. Sometimes I have conversations with Greg, and I'm pointing over here because that's normally where Greg sits at 9 o'clock service. So sometimes I have these conversations with Greg, and he has pointed out to me that, you know, there's more peace in the world today than there's ever been. And so I was curious. I Googled that. Don't you love it? I Googled it. Is there more peace in the world today? And I found that there have been studies done. There, there was a whole computer model that was done all around whether or not there is more peace today, and it was based on the number of people that are killed due to war. And it turns out that in today, today in our world, there are less people killed because of war than there have been since we know in history, right? And so from that perspective, the idea is, yes, there's more peace in the world. But of course, not everybody accepts that. And so people want to argue about whether or not that's really showing that there's more peace in the world. And I found that humorous. You know, here's how we prove there's more peace in the world. And no, no, that doesn't prove a thing that there's more peace in the world. And so it continues. And I've come 
to the understanding that I don't care if there is any anything proving to me that there is more peace in the world or not. What does it matter? Do you hear what I hear? Because whether or not there is more peace in the world, less wars, less killings, less this, less that, am I being that peace that I want to see? Do you hear what I hear? Can you be that peace that we want to, that we speak about during Christmas every year? Peace on earth. Good will to men. So you and I have an opportunity all the time practice being the peace. Anybody find themselves out of their peace over this past week? You know what I absolutely know is that there will be drama and trauma and chaos and wars in the world as long as each of us is not in a place of peace in our heart. So the best way that I can impact the consciousness of the world is to find peace in myself. So here's how that looks for me this week. I had a coupon from Target, and it was a coupon for 20% off, and so I had a gift that I had to buy, and I thought, oh, I can use this 20% off coupon, and so I got online this week to order that gift, found it, put in the coupon code, and up it popped with, you know, coupon expired or doesn't, doesn't go with this product, right? And I'm breathing, okay. <laughs> And I pulled out the coupon, and it's got all the fine print of everything that's not, you know, that's excluded from this coupon. And I'm looking all through this coupon, and I am not seeing a thing that says that what I'm buying isn't included. And so I took another breath. And I said, okay, well, that's okay. I won't order it online. I'll just go into the store, because there I'll have the coupon, and, and we'll get it taken care of. So I went to the store on Friday with Zoe. And we went and found the product, and I was a little bit confused because I had the price on my phone, and I couldn't find that exact thing with that price. And I found, realized that the price online was $10 lower than the price in the store. And so now I'm taking another breath. And I'm remembering that it's okay. I'm going to go to the line, and I'm going to bring this with me, and they're going to give me that lower price, not a problem. And that's what I, what I went to do. And I went in line, and anybody who stopped in Target, you know that they have like some cash registers that are in the back, and then some cash registers that are in the front, right? So I'm waiting in the back, and the person who's trying to manage all this comes up to me and says, you know, the one, the one up front there, it only has one person. Why don't you, oh, I said, great. I grabbed Billy's point hand. I got in line behind him, just one person, checking out with all these little cans of cat food. <laughs> And I took a breath. And the next thing I know, you know, they're handing coupons, and the coupons aren't working. And I see the, the cashier, and she's pulling out the circular and frantically looking through the circular. And I'm taking a breath. And I look behind me, and, of course, the people that were in line behind me, they were already done. And then at one point I noticed, oh, there's only one person left in that line. So, Zoe, come on, let's go back here again and got back into this other line where the cashier is so friendly, so nice, checking out this Barbie thing and talking, oh, isn't this lovely? And the woman's telling about the gift and how she's going to give it. And I'm there going, breathe, exactly, breathe, take a breath, right? And then I notice that the cat lady's all, she's getting a receipt. And so I think, great, Zoe, come on, let's go back up to the other line. And just as I do that, somebody comes and goes in front of me. 
I said, let's go back to this line again. <laughs> and as I'm trying to remember to keep my patience, to, to breathe, to be at peace, I'm at least saying to Zoe, Zoe, you are being so good and so patient, trying to center my mind on that myself, you know. And then it was finally my turn, and then guess what? I became that person. Right, because they quickly agreed, yes, we'll give you the lower price for that item. But guess what? When they went to do that coupon, it came up with the same error message. And I'm explaining to them, you know, I, I don't see any exclusion. I don't know why it's not working. They bring over the person managing all this. They're now frantically looking at my order, reading the fine print, trying to figure it out. And I'm realizing I'm now the one causing the people behind me to have to take a breath. And all of it, all of it, was a simple, ordinary, human moment to practice. Do you hear what I hear? Can you be at peace? Can you be that light in the darkness? So I share that story with you, and yes, I could. <laughs> Um, I share that story with you because I want to invite you into that practice this week to realize, to recognize that there are ordinary moments. It's not about just lack of war and how we might participate in that. It's looking at every area of your life and where am I adding to drama, trauma, chaos, confusion, impatience, and keeping it down to be that peace and that innocence of that lamb and those babies and to connect. And not to get into despair, but to remember with me that this season is a season of remembering the light will always overcome the darkness. And we are that light. So who's going to join me in that practice this week? Now look at around. I want you to look around and see all the hands raised. Okay? Right? There's so many hands raised. So keep that in mind next week. <laughs> Here's our practice for the week. Throughout your day this week, take several short breaks to breathe. So you might have gotten that that's my practice, is to breathe. Because what happens is when we get upset, when we get uptight, when we get impatient, when we get frustrated, we stop breathing. And so our brain loses its oxygen, right? And so breathe, that's always my practice to begin. Stop, breathe. Allow yourself to feel your connection with all life and all time. And then as you move back into the activity of the day, take that sense of calm and connection with you. Peace on earth. Can it be? Peace on earth. Can it be? Peace on earth. Can it be? Getting better. Peace on earth. Can it be? And if it's to be, who's going to create it? So let's let it be. We are. Exactly, Anna. Let us go forth and be that. And I see you, Sherry, but I'm looking at the time. And so catch me after service, okay? All right. All right. God bless. Thank you.